0: Ready?
1: Welcome to the Canadian Cycling Magazine podcast. You just heard the start of the women's race of the Eastern Ontario Cyclocross Series Uh, fourth round I believe. Uh, We're here on location in Ottawa. I'm Matthew Piero, editor, I'm with Adam Killick, producer, how's it going Adam?
2: It's going pretty good. I'm a bit, uh, a bit tired, but uh, we had a good race this morning. Any day on the cross course is better than any day anywhere else, in my opinion. So hey, it hurts, but it's a fun hurt.
1: It was a, it was a hurtful course. It's flat, grassy, and it felt long. I felt in, in most cross races, in the midpoint, you start getting a little, you start having existential angst. What am I doing here? But I was able to have just philosophical ruminations that went on and on because this was a long course
2: it was uh, I think relentless would be a good word to describe it I agree or soul sucking if you want to be less poetic
1: there you go but this is actually a bit of a significant race Uh, it is in Ottawa city limits which as I understand it. And I'm pretty sure about this, it hasn't happened in anywhere between five to seven years. We have a chat with Vince Caceres of The Cyclery and one of the organizers here at the Eastern Ontario Cyclocross Series, and he gives us a bit of the skinny on the uh, course here that we enjoyed. Do you hear the air quotes around my enjoyed? Enjoyed today. We also hear from Sandra Walter in this episode. She gives us some pretty great information on wearing a costume for your Halloween-themed cyclocross race. She is not only a pro mountain biker, pro cyclocross racer, but she's pretty pro in the costume department. So that was a hilarious discussion I had with her. And we also have Peter Glassford, our friend and coach.
2: And what's Peter gonna talk to us about this week?
1: Something that'll make us faster. So, without further ado, Let's hear from Sandra. Cave woman, monster, Pippi Longstocking, Minnie Mouse, cow, some sort of sea creature. These are just some of the costumes Sandra Walter has worn when racing cyclocross. The cross-country rider from Coquitlam, B.C. often participates in Pumpkin Cross, which is held in Maple Ridge, B.C. Walter takes the Halloween costume part of the race quite seriously, all in the name of fun. I spoke with Walter to learn about what costume of hers has been the fastest, what are some do's and don'ts of creating a costume that has to work on a bike, and what she might be racing as this year. Sandra Walter, For a few years now, you've um, been riding in costume. I've seen pictures of it. Sometimes they surface on the internet. Um, The costumes are usually for Halloween-themed cyclocross races. Do you remember the first costume you ever donned for a CX race?
3: Yes, it was the first edition of Pumpkin Cross out in Maple Ridge, BC. Um, I don't really remember what year that was, but... It was a Halloween-themed race, and I always like to wear costumes, so I don't really need much of an excuse to do that. So that year, I dressed up as a well. I don't. It was some sort of a sea creature. I just had I had received a, a helmet cover for my birthday, and it was like a blowfish sort of helmet cover. It was yellow with uh, with kind of silvery lame on it and had basically spikes sticking out all over in every direction. So that was sort of my, the jumping off point. And then uh, I wore like these green sunglasses with green lenses and I took an old skin suit and I spray painted it silver, um, which was pretty smelly. But but, uh, yeah, so that was, that was my first costume that I wore in a cross race.
1: So it sounds like you didn't need much um, convincing or cajoling. You, you, you seem pretty predisposed to, to dressing up.
3: Yeah, as a kid, I was always really creative with Halloween costumes, and I, I pretty much created my own costume. I never bought, or my parents never bought me costumes. It was always, I always had some sort of a vision um, for what I wanted to dress up as, and then I would go ahead and, and create it myself.
1: What's the fastest costume you've ever worn?
3: Um, I'm not really sure, but ironically, I dressed up as a Strava QOM one year, and I didn't win the race. And I had a crown or a tiara stuck to my helmet, and that fell off during the race, so I guess the Strava QOM actually wasn't the fastest costume.
1: (laughs) What's the slowest then costume you've ever worn?
3: Um, that's hard to say as well. I I dressed up as Minnie Mouse last year and I won the race, but the it was a really wet year. So it was pouring rain and I had this kind of polka dot skirt on and it really soaked up the water and got really heavy and waterlogged and was getting caught on my saddle. So that kind of was a bit, uh, distracting during the race.
1: So from tiaras that fall off to, to waterlogged costumes, it it sounds like there can be, you know, unintended challenges with dressing up. Um, has there ever been like something more catastrophic? Maybe your Pippi long stocking braids got caught in, in course tape.
3: (laughs) Um, I don't remember that exact scenario, but Um, I definitely do try to pick my costumes carefully and and think about those things in advance. Um, I really avoid capes because I have seen other people struggle with capes. Um, So it's, yeah, you want to try to be, try to keep things kind of streamlined and aerodynamic, obviously for speed, but as well as um, keeping things out of the moving parts of the bike. Um, yeah, but I haven't had anything really, really crazy happen.
1: I guess a cape could uh, be troublesome when you're, you're shouldering the bike for a run-up or if you're going through a sand pit.
3: Yeah. And I mean, capes can get caught anywhere. <laughs> and I think, I think Cycling BC actually came up with a specific rule. Um, and they're, so they're not allowing capes in, in races.
1: Oh my god! But they're,
3: Yes, it's pretty funny that, that they actually came up with a specific rule for costumes, but um, there you have it. It's a safety issue.
1: I mean, as if the rule books weren't already detailed enough, um, from sock length to I don't know what, but now there's a, a no capes rule. <laughs> it, re- it really makes you think about the comic book characters and what are they doing with capes? Why don't they have more cape malfunctions and all the things that they're up against?
3: they probably train a lot more with, with their uh, capes on. Whereas, you know, for, for pumpkin cross, I usually don't try out my costume beforehand. Um, So it's sort of in the race that you discover the, the awkwardness of things.
1: Oh my gosh. So you're going against the cardinal rule of don't test new equipment on race (laughs) day.
3: Yeah, I guess you're right. But usually I don't Usually it's pretty last minute that I'm putting my costume together, so I, you know, I don't really have time um, to try it out.
1: I understand. I understand. You know, you're you're working right up to the limit, I imagine.
3: Yeah, usually it's like night before that I'm still gluing stuff on or what have you.
1: <laughs> right, you have to hope it sets in time for uh, for the start. What's the best integration of uh, costume and cycling gear that you've ever achieved? Have you ever worked something I don't know into your 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 shoes that have just been either aerodynamic or elegant?
3: Um, I kind of I like adding certain things of flair to the costume. So I feel that there are three different areas of the costume that that are really effective visually. So the helmet having something on the helmet. Um, is very effective, having something on your hands, and then having something on on your shoes. Um, Those things tend to really stand out when when riding. So one year I was uh, like a purple monster. So I had this purple monster thing, furry thing with eyeballs um, stuck to my helmet. And then I had like furry gloves, purple gloves with claws on the end that I that I wore so that really shows up when you're holding the handlebars you can see these claws and then I also had had some furry things purple things on my shoes.
1: One of my favorite uh, costumes of yours was the um, was the cow and what I liked was uh, you you had the horns on the helmet but the helmet I believe was the uh, the cat-like brand which had (laughs) uh, the vents on it were kind of prominent and roundish and it was a white helmet and so it, it almost complemented the sort of Jersey cow look. I thought that was a real win right there.
3: Yeah, the, I'm pretty happy with the cow costume as well. Um, I went to Value Village and found, found the horns, and that's what sort of set off the, the cow idea. And then I also... I was kind of a recycling of a costume because the, the, the body with the spots... Um, was a t-shirt and some tights that I had painted a few years earlier as, as part of a giraffe costume, but it also worked as a cow costume. Um, and then I, to, for an udder, I took a pink glove and, and kind of stuffed it and pinned it to the front of my t-shirt, and uh, I took a Shimano cowbell, one of those blue cowbells that you often spectators get at cross races, and I put that and pinned that to the front of the the uh, t-shirt as well so those were some some neat details
1: so you've given a lot of great tips uh but what are maybe your primary do's and don'ts like we've covered capes and you've covered um sort of the key sort of parts of the uh, costume slash kit that you can work for for designing a costume but do you have any other do's and don'ts to add
3: so I think when you're considering a costume, one of the first questions you need to ask yourself is, do I want to win the race or do I want to win the costume contest? Mm. Because an- answering those one of those questions will lead you on a different path. Um, for example, if you want to win the race, you need to make sure that your costume is aerodynamic and, uh, and uncomplicated. But sometimes that's hard to make a really exciting costume out of that. Um, Whereas if you want to win the costume contest, then you're probably going to sacrifice some bike handling and some aerodynamics and some agility. But you will have a really cool costume. One example is, it wasn't homemade, this costume, but one year at Pumpkin Cross, there was a minion. So it was an inflatable minion costume that this rider was wearing. And it was I don't know, it was huge. It was basically, it had like one of those air pumps in it to keep it inflated the whole time. And all you saw along the course was this massive inflated yellow minion bobbing along awkwardly. But it was so cool to see. (laughs) But obviously this person did not win the race.
1: I remember seeing the pictures of that and definitely it was impressive. And I can't imagine making my way around a course like that. What do you prioritize um, when you're putting your costume together? or are some years years to win the costume contest and, are, and other years uh, designed for winning the race?
3: I try to find a balance because I really want to have a cool costume but I obviously I'm, I'm a competitor um, and, I, and I want to win the race as well. So um, I do try to try to find the perfect balance and I, I have won the costume contest. I think twice at least i won the first year when i was a sea creature and then i won again i believe as the cow so i yeah i feel pretty like i do a pretty good job of balancing you know uniqueness of the costume as well as as a performance of the costume
1: what would you say to someone who is maybe on the fence about dressing up and riding in costume how would you encourage this person to uh, to go for it for their Halloween themed cyclocross well, race.
3: If it is a Halloween themed cyclocross race, you will get heckled if you do not dress up, mm. and you get way more cheers if you do. So there's kind of a bit of peer pressure there, <laughs> as well as social acceptance. So, you know, usually those are pretty good motivators. Um, plus, it's really fun. least I think so and uh, yeah maybe you'll make some new friends because you'll bond over costume malfunctions or or if you wear the same costume as someone else
1: Sandra Walter that's great thank you very much for your tips and advice and I can't wait to see uh, what you what your costume is this year
3: well just a hint I was recently in Tokyo And I bought my costume in Japan, so Ah. I'm pretty pretty excited.
1: The benefits of of not only pre-riding the Olympic course, but uh, getting dialed for Halloween.
3: Now I should have pre-ridden in costume. That would have been interesting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again, Sandra. That's great.
3: Thank you. My pleasure.
1: Sandra Walter is from Coquitlam, B.C. and races cross-country for live racing. She doesn't race in a cape. Ottawa hasn't had a cyclocross race within its city limits in years. Some riders and organizers I spoke with recently said it's been five years. It's probably longer. In 2012, we published a story about how the organizers in the nation's capital were scrambling to find venues within the city. What happened? Why was cross banished? The short answer? Some grass got ruined after a CX race. Some people didn't like that. I'm sure it doesn't surprise you that I think that's a ridiculous reason. I've seen many venues that got muddy in the fall, but grew back lush and verdant in the spring. With a bit of care, grass grows back covering all the riders' tracks. It's quite an amazing plant. But this isn't a biology lesson. It's actually an example of a crown corporation, the National Capital Commission, and race organizers working together to put a defunct golf course to good use. At round four of the Eastern Ontario Cyclocross Series, I spoke with the Cycleries Vince Caceres. He helped organize the first race in Ottawa in a long time. So is this is this significant that you guys are in Ottawa's city limits?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's... It can be kind of twofold because this this particular property, it's been a, not abandoned, but it hasn't been used for about two years. Oh, okay. This is NCC land. This is actually it's not City of Ottawa. Oh, interesting. That's that's actually a very key point. Ah. And I think the biggest thing though is uh, cycling and NCC. I think sometimes have had a bit of a love-hate relationship in the past, but I don't I think that is uh, like I don't think a that's really a fair like shake to the right. NCC because I think they're trying to govern everything. They don't just govern cycling, right? right? They, so have they, lot, they have a jurisdiction lot, their jurisdiction their yeah. But the fact is, is they're a very willing organization. If you figure this ground, maybe less than a month ago, was waist-high grass. Are you kidding me? The NCC came in and said, we could potentially use this course. And I said, look, I'll be honest with you, I can't, I can't see the course. Because all I see is this huge field I'm gonna get ticks on so they actually came in and they mowed it for us oh. to look at the course and then they came back in again and they mowed it again and then they came in again and they mowed the course once i laid it out so, so they did all this for us so these strips that we followed during our race they they came in it? with a cutter and groomed it for us oh. they gave us access to the land they gave us free rein as to what to do there's some old greens in there that had sand underneath that you guys probably rode over yep they brought a machine in they ripped it up for us that's so cool you know and they didn't charge us for any of this stuff so to say that an organization is potentially anti-cycling is totally wrong if they're willing to do all this for us plus we're in ottawa yeah you know which is huge because our numbers are a healthy size from what we would expect even though it's a holiday yeah yeah, you'd have people being busy plus a day of registration is higher than average for today Mm. which says you know a lot of guys okay i'm close to town i want to give this a go So, I mean, I think in the long term, I think we'll be able to work comfortably with them. And I think we'll be able to potentially make this venue. And I could see them probably trying to do something with this venue to make it a a community for season sort of use. I don't think they want to put a golf course back in here. I don't think they want to sell it for development. I think they want to keep it green space, right? But they want activity in there. So I'm hoping maybe later we can maybe next year Take a section, maybe make a bigger sandpit, make a natural barrier of some nature right. to have a little more fun with it. Yeah, and they're definitely not close to it because all the effort that they put in for really a one-day right race, I think, was fantastic. That
1: is fantastic. That you know? and just getting that background on the level of planning and their level of engagement and participation. Is, yeah, is quite impressive.
0: It is. It's it's really impressive, and the fact that. You know they actually gave me a couple of suggested sites and we went to look at them and oh. this was a yay this was a nay more from I'll be a mixing with a lot of public in here so that's not safe and this maybe had a lot of single track of trails which isn't conducive to cross. Yeah. And I don't want them to all of a sudden start ripping down a forest or something ridiculous which I don't think is in their mandate. Right. But this was perfect. I mean this is basically this big huge golf course that's been a dormant field. Yeah, for two and a half years, yeah. you know, and uh, they made it a hundred percent for us. Right. That's so, very cool Well, yeah. it
1: was pretty it was tough. It was yeah. a really hard course. It's, a, hard, it's, it's a speed
0: power course and I think that's also good because we have with the other venues I've got some pretty technical twisty ones. I've got one coming a new one next week. That's gonna be uh, Very sand based oh. so you'll have technical sand this is a nice one because it's a power course, mm. you know, so it suits a power rider as opposed to maybe a, you know, a really good technical rider. And so my my long-term vision ideally is to try and eventually develop the series of courses that this suits this rider, this suits this, this suits that. So you're not gonna have one person dominating the series. That's you know, because really you might have a an awesome mountain biker yep. who could rail a corner like anything. Mm-hmm. They won't win here. No. Or they'll have a harder time winning here. Yeah. Because this is all power, you know.
1: So the the, the Eastern Ontario Cyclocross Series is being um, cultivated in a way. Yeah, and I'm trying to make it
0: have a bit more technical. In the past, some things have been done very safe, which is great. But I think you also now have to make things a bit more push the envelope of cross, keeping it to a simpler degree. Yeah. So when people go to other venues. They're not freaked out. They're not scared. They go to nationals, they go to provincials. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've done this before, maybe not three, four times on a course, but I've done this on the course. Yeah, I'm confident now I can do it, kind of thing. Right and that's where we want to kind of build to, sort of thing. Cool. And every year I'm planning or wanting to make the courses different. Like I don't want to have the same course here next year. Amazing. Right? So do something different every time.
1: Vince Caceres is the owner of Ottawa's The Cyclery he's also an organizer with the Eastern Ontario Cyclocross Series. After a recent race in Ottawa, producer Adam and I started chatting with Sebastian, a fellow cyclocross racer we had parked next to. It was standard CX talk that goes on in a parking lot. We discussed the course, wheels, tires, and tire pressure. Eventually, Sebastian pulled out some beers and offered us some. We accepted. There's nothing quite like a beer after a race or ride, but it got me thinking. As much as I enjoyed the beer, well... Should I be enjoying a beer after pushing myself to the limit for an hour? I asked Coach Peter Glasford about the post ride beer for his thoughts on recovery suds. Peter Glasford, I have a question for you about beer uh it's very common to have a beer after a cross race or even um, all kinds of other events from fondos to to gravel events and it may not be, I suspect, what your body actually needs at the end of a hard effort. However, it's very much a part of the culture. How do I balance out what's going on? Um, you know, having a beer with friends and also giving my body what it actually needs at the end of a long event.
4: Yeah, it's it's a tough question, right? It's so ingrained, especially in the cyclocross uh, culture. Um, So usually when people ask, you know, these questions of what is, is this good? Should I, should I do this? Should I take this supplement or, or whatever, right? Um, Should I put kale in my smoothie? Uh, It always sort of depends, right? Like I always go back to like, who are you and what are you trying to do? So if you're, you know, trying to eke every single percent and win uh, maybe in a double weekend, right, then there's a few, a few layers there, right? Like you're trying to recover between. So if it's Saturday, the day one, you've just finished and you know, you have to race the next day then you might have, you know, slightly different considerations as far as like speed to recovery and stuff like that. Now, if it's, if you're going to just do a single day, I really like that Saturday race and then you can enjoy the you know venue and then maybe you go do like an easier endurance ride Sunday. Um, then, you know, the beer isn't as big of a deal. Um, but I, I think it, it always comes to like, what are you really driving after? Right. Um, if you're looking, if you're more there for the experience, then, you know, it, it matters less. So, um, so I think that's that's the bigger piece is you know what what are you trying to do exactly right and for most of us I think it's it's more we want to be there for the social piece right I think that if we look at it no one's going to the Olympics we've talked about this you and I missed mm-hmm. our tour tour break again this year so <laughs>
1: it's true yes <laughs> still um, waiting for that phone call um, right but um, so what then if I've decided it's end of Saturday and it's end of day one of two. Um, I'm going to forgo the beer because I know I have a race tomorrow. What is your recommended, uh, recovery, mm, nutrition regime, um, in that situation?
4: Yeah. I mean, usually you have about 24 hours. So, I mean, you certainly could do sort of a pre-made, uh, drink or bar or something like that. If, if there isn't something readily available, a lot of us can do pretty well just with like sort of a balanced meal. Um, if you can stomach that, some of us can't stomach that, but, you know just getting sort of your general you know carbs protein getting that in uh is going to be beneficial for sure um and, and regardless of whether you have that beer right like you still could have that meal that's going to help and then certainly getting a bunch of water back into you um, especially in those early cyclocross uh, races where there's you know dehydration is, is quite possible um so just even if you, again, irregardless of the beer, just making sure that you get that meal in, get the good nutrients in to help your body and then also the water. And those two things are also going to help offset. Again, if we're going to keep coming back to beer, then um, it's going to help with that as well. But I think for a lot of us, that's a big piece. Um, the other nice thing, I mean, really having that beer sort of midday, the nice thing is if you can sort of stop then, you know, ahead of dinner, you um, Then, you know, you can get that nice dinner and then hopefully get cooled down and and in bed in a decent time. And when we're talking about recovery, it's really that, you know, getting your basic nutrition in and then also getting decent sleep, uh, which is always the tricky thing with cross because you're always sort of like unpacking, uh, you know, all the mechanical work you have to do between races and then getting up in the morning and getting back to the race. So a lot going on right so Mm -hmm. uh, i think that's the big thing if you can take care of the sleep and just you know make sure you get some decent meals in you but certainly the the supplements the recovery potions and stuff can can be uh, a supplement to that right
1: i think my takeaway then is maybe i'll have a beer as i'm washing down my bike just get a little more efficient with my uh with my routine Uh, peter thanks very much pleasure matt Peter Glassford is a professional coach and head of Smart Athlete Coaching Services. Send in your Ask a Coach question for Peter to podcast at cyclingmagazine.ca. And that's the episode here on location in Ottawa at the Eastern Ontario Cyclocross Series. This episode was put together by me, Matthew Pioro. I had help from Terry McCall. It was produced by this guy right here, Adam Killick. Thank you, Adam. You're welcome.
2: Thank you for having me on. Right on. Thank you for beating me by one spot today. Again. (laughs) You know. I'm not really thanking you for that. I'm just trying to be polite.
1: I could tell. I could tell. I could see through the veneer of politeness. But uh, frankly, I was terrified because you were coming for me. If you want more of what we do in the Canadian Cycling Department, check out our website, check out our social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Sign up for our newsletter. That'd be super handy. And please rate and review this podcast. We really appreciate it. Hey, Adam, who should we, who should listeners tell about our podcast?
2: I think listeners should contact their local city councillor and say hey there's this great podcast that has a lot of cyclocross content and you know what cyclocross is really cool when it's in an urban area.
1: I agree and you know what Uh, based on what we're seeing here today um, not just cities but uh, something like a National Capital Commission you know we can work together and we can have really beautiful bike races in the fall. Thanks everyone talk to you later.